So good to be with you on this beautiful rainy morning. Did you drive in or paddle in today? Feels about like that. Welcome to all those in the auditorium, those watching in the lobby, and those watching online at carneyefree.com. Thanks for being with us today. My name is Adrian, and one of the pastors here at this great church. It's an honor to be with you, and love to meet you after the service if we haven't yet met. As we jump into this morning's message, let's, uh, let's pray as we uh, consider the words of John 1, and then we will launch in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the moisture for our land, which we need. Thank you for the gift of this beautiful church where we can worship. Thank you for all those here in attendance and all those watching online. I pray your blessing on each of them and their families. Father, would you quiet our hearts now and would you enliven our spirits that we might be open to the truths of your word and your call to us, Lord Jesus. We just want your word, not mine. We want your truth to penetrate our hearts. And sometimes it does so and it comforts us and other times it does so and it convicts us. And so, Father, whatever it is that you want to do in us today, we invite you to do it and... uh, We give you our hearts now, in the mighty name of Christ, amen, amen. Okay, maybe you all can provide a little bit of feedback for me here this service. Um, During the first hour, they were kind of drowsy. I'm not sure if it was the preaching or the spring forward or what, but I'm going to need some of your feedback on this message, okay? Okay. Now it's time to say okay. All right, thank you, all right. (laughs) Thanks to the one who just said it. And uh, yeah, all right, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Discipleship is the word. Discipleship is really the word that Jesus is after. Uh, even more than salvation, what Jesus wants is discipleship. Because discipleship leads to sustained souls. When you're discipled in Christ, when you are in a daily habit of living with God, when you are learning, when I am learning to love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and therefore to love others as myself, and that's my daily habit of life, it becomes part of my lifestyle, then my soul is sustained. And then I'm able to give that sustenance to others. I'm able to invite others toward that sustenance which is found in Christ. What Jesus invites us to is discipleship. Today we use the word apprentice, and that's very similar. You have the idea of a master craftsman and an apprentice who is learning from that master craftsman. Or a coach with his teammates, his athletes who are learning from the coach. It's the same kind of idea. But in the New Testament, it was discipleship. The word discipleship is used again and again in the New Testament. In the Greek language, it always revolves around these two words. Stick with me here. There's a teacher, and the teacher word is didaskalos. And there's a disciple, and the disciple word is mathetes. And didaskalos always goes with mathetes. When you have a teacher... You always have disciples. When you have disciples, mathetes, you always have 
didaskalos, a teacher. And when the New Testament uses these words, what it seeks to do is reinforce for us the unmistakable connection between teacher and disciple that the two always go together. That you cannot walk alone as a disciple of Christ. If you're a disciple of Christ, you are always following a specific teacher. And we are inviting others to come and see the goodness of God as well. Greek discipleship uh, tended to be related to, there were many different schools of discipleship at the time of Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus and his disciples. There was discipleship all over the first century Roman world. And in the Greek world of the day, there were many teachers, many disciplers. And these disciplers, these teachers, tended to gather disciples around them related to philosophy or mathematics or architecture, things like that. And they developed some of the greatest educational schools that the world has ever seen. It's from these disciples that we got people like Aristotle and Socrates, who founded the philosophical systems of today that frequently continue to inform our colleges and universities. Or Pythagoras, you heard of the Pythagorean theorem, right, for your math work. That came from Pythagoras and his disciples, these schools of disciples that were oriented around observing the natural world, solving math and science problems. That was Greek discipleship. And it was one of the leading uh, academic schools the world has ever seen. Many, many Greek teachers and disciples. Uh, Jewish discipleship was a little bit different than that. Jewish discipleship was related to the five books of Moses, which is regularly called the law or the Torah. And so what Jewish rabbis would do is they would gather together disciples and they would seek to apply the principles of the Old Testament to their lives. They would regularly memorize the entirety of the Old Testament, at least the leading ones would. That's no joke, they actually would. Our brains have that power. Seriously, they do. Our brains have that kind of power to memorize and that's the way leading Jewish schools of the day would do it. Uh, perhaps the most well-known rabbinical school of the day was called the Pharisees. You know the Pharisees? And the Pharisees get kind of a bad rap in the scriptures, but what the Pharisees really were was uh, super conservative people who were really committed to discipling people around the Old Testament law, and they gave them all kinds of additional restrictions on top of the Ten Commandments for how they would apply the principles of the Ten Commandments. The problem was they got hyper-legalistic about it. They were very, very, very conservative. They had a good uh, charter, which was a conservative uh, viewpoint on the books of the Bible, applying it as truth to life, but then they got too legalistic about it, and they didn't help people out along the way. John the Baptist, of course, had disciples, as we see in this passage, and we talked about last week, and his discipleship was mostly related to baptism and repentance. Now, you have all of these different areas of discipleship in Jesus' method of discipleship as well. There's commonalities in all of those to what Jesus invites us to. Like when you come to Jesus, you get a philosophy of life, don't you? Okay, this is the time to interact. You get a philosophy for how to live. What is the way to live? How should I orient my life? We get a good philosophy of life from Jesus. 
So also you come to Jesus, he gives you principled applications of the law. That was the Jewish school of discipleship. You need read no further than the Sermon on the Mount, and you see that. The Sermon on the Mount is application of the Ten Commandments. You go to Jesus and you get clear teaching on baptism and the Holy Spirit and repentance. A lot of congruence there with what John taught. But what is unique about Jesus' discipleship, as opposed to all those other schools of discipleship at this time in John chapter 1, is this. Those were oriented toward policy or philosophy or sometimes a protest movement or academic pursuit. And all of those would have been important to Jesus, but all of them would be secondary to something more important to Jesus, which was relationship. When you come to discipleship in Jesus, discipleship with Jesus begins and ends with relationship. Okay, the other schools of discipleship out there then and today uh, have to do with all different kinds of fields of study, different skills that one may acquire, and that's all fine. But Jesus' school of discipleship begins and it ends with relationship. What Jesus wants when he invites us to come to him, to follow him, is to bring us into a relationship with a person. Jesus is fully God, and as we've talked about already in the series, he's also fully man. And he has all the characteristics of what a man should be. He's compassionate and he's strong. He's courageous. He's gentle. He's patient. He's loving. He weeps. And yet he protects all of those things. And he invites us into a personal relationship with him. I really cannot stress this more highly enough. The essence of discipleship is relationship. Say that out loud with me. The essence of of discipleship is relationship. This is why God gives us prayer. That we would learn to talk to God. That we would learn to listen to God. That we would slowly learn over time to meditate on God's word. To cogitate it. To chew on it. To internalize it. To journal, journal through it. To enjoy God because he invites us first and foremost to relationship. This passage that we're in here today is the very first red letter words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. It's the first time that we see the words of Jesus coming out. And the first words of Jesus are, come. Come and follow me. Come, you will see. They say, Rabbi, and he says, come, and you'll see more if you'll just follow me. As the other Gospels tell us, he invites his disciples to, to come to him and he will make them fishers of men, fishers of men and women. Now Andrew and another disciple immediately leave John the Baptist and they follow Jesus. And Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus as well. And they are down in the region called Bethany, which is closer to Jerusalem. And Jesus sees them and he says, come follow me. And then they say, yes, we will follow. And then together they begin a hike of about 100 miles northward to the Sea of Galilee. 
And this was a regular practice for those who would live up in the region of the Sea of Galilee where Nazareth and Bethsaida was. They'd go down to Jerusalem to visit the temple at least once or twice a year, and then they'd go back up. And they're on this 100-mile journey, and on the way, though, they see a couple other Galileans by the name of Philip and Nathaniel who are likewise making the journey. Apparently, Galileans were in wicked good shape. They were like marathoners back before there was marathons, and they're making this 100-mile journey as well, and Jesus likewise invites them to come follow me. Join me on this journey. Do you see this is all relational language? This would be such a contrast to their Jewish mindset of discipleship. The rabbis of the day, the Jewish rabbis of the day, would gather elite disciples to them. And they would not invite anyone to be their disciples. You would have to apply to become their disciples. Because by inviting someone to be their disciple, that would be risking rejection. And no rabbi of the day, no Jewish rabbi of the day would ever risk rejection from a disciple. So instead, you would maybe gather up your 36 on your ACT and your 4.0 GPA, and you would apply to Rabbi Gamaliel's school or Rabbi Hillel's school. And maybe, maybe they would allow you in. But they would never come to you and say, hey, why don't you come on over here and follow me? And of course, there were those 4.0 valedictorians like the Apostle Paul who became followers of Jesus. But there were also these really ordinary people like Mary Magdalene who was filled with demons. And Peter and Andrew who were ordinary blue-collar, smelly fishermen. And they're just regular folks like us. And Jesus willing to get undignified to get face-to-face with these kinds of people, look them in the eye, smell their breath, and say, would you like to follow me? Like, I mean, could you imagine? Brilliant Jesus, great rabbi, would you like to follow me? They'd never heard of anything like this. All of this, once again, is simply to reinforce this idea that God calls us not just to believe certain truths about him, not to join a protest movement for him, not to join a political rallying cry for him, but to become his relational followers, to enter into a loving relationship in which we're guided by him as our king, as our leader, as our good shepherd. As you continue through the Gospel of John, you see words like, if anyone is thirsty, let her come to me, and I'll give her a drink of water. She's thirsty, she can come to me, and streams of living water will flow from within her after she spends some time with me. If anyone's hungry, let him come to me, and I'll give him bread, the real bread of life that satisfies the soul. If you're lonely, come to me, and I am the true gate, and I open up the way for all who are lonely that you would not be alone in this world, but you would know God is for you and always with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you because he wants relationship with you. If you're tired and beat up by this life, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. You're exhausted. I will give you rest 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. I am humble and gentle, I'm humble and gentle in heart and uh, you can find rest in me. You get the point? These are relational words. God invites us first and foremost to relationship with him and then discipleship grows out of that. Discipleship begins and ends in relationship. And then from there, I would say, discipleship, as we see it in this passage, grows as we move from curious or maybe being seekers or maybe being a little bit cynical, having lots of questions, to eventually becoming committed followers of Christ. And if you became a follower of Christ as an adult, you can probably trace a certain pathway that you went through in which you were just here asking questions. Or you got into a discipleship relationship with another man or woman, and they allowed you to ask all kinds of off-the-wall questions, and they didn't shame you for those questions. You didn't have your life together, and that was fine. You were curious, you were seeking, maybe you were cynical, and you came as you were, and then slowly but surely you moved from there. And this is really instructive for us because Jesus invites these disciples and they're not really sure to go all in or not. And if you follow their lives through the Gospels, they have a lot of stops and starts, don't they? Like, they follow Jesus, kind of. They believe in him as Lord until they don't. And it's this back and forth thing that you see with them as they slowly understand that he is indeed the son of God. And I think maybe that's because they actually had to leave a lot to follow him. It cost them a lot to follow. Peter and Andrew, they immediately leave their fishing business. Matthew was a wealthy tax collector. He would have been like upper class in that society. He immediately leaves his tax collecting business and follows Jesus. He probably wonders, did I make the right decision at different times? There's these fits and starts along the way. We're not given a whole lot of information about Peter, what exactly he did Well, when he hears this news from his brother Andrew. But perhaps this episode of the documentary Chosen, um, the TV series The Chosen, gives us a sense of how Peter might have responded. Have you watched The Chosen? Raise your hand if you've watched The Chosen. Okay, about a quarter of us, you're about to, go ahead and watch it. It is so good. Watch The Chosen. It is probably the best depiction of Jesus I've ever seen in any kind of Hollywood form. It's a crowd-funded, beautiful portrayal of Jesus and the disciples, deeply inspiring. It led me to worship on many, many occasions. I encourage you to watch it. But perhaps Peter responded like this. Take a look. What are you talking about? Did you run all the way from Jerusalem? We're saved. We're saved. I saw him with my own eyes, Simon. Who? It was incredible. And who did you see? The Lamb of God. He who takes away the sin of the world. Simon. First, then, by the Jordan, and John the Baptist pointed at the man who was walking. Simon, are you listening? Yeah. 
Yeah, you're just not saying anything. I saw the Messiah today. The men, all of us, including you, have been praying for our whole lives. Don't you even care? Was he a big man? Big? No. Rich? No. It didn't seem he could bear us out of this debt to Rome? Maybe, maybe he was a doctor. No. So he can't help with Eden Zima, who's now living with us, Andrew. That's just... So pardon me if I'm not exactly jumping out of my sandals because Creepy John pointed at someone. You're scared. Lost everything. Burned every bridge. It doesn't matter. The Romans don't matter if the Messiah has arrived. Anything is possible now. Don't you see? That'd be nice. Was he big? Was he rich? Was he a doctor? Will he release us from Roman rule? We're not, uh, we're not given exactly the detail of, of how Peter responded, but verse 41 says the first thing Andrew did, Andrew's Simon's brother, first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He, he takes his brother Simon and says, come look at Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And he renames Simon into Peter, which means rock. He tells him, you will be the rock. Now, if you read the Gospels, rock is not the image that comes to mind when you see Peter's life. The image that comes to mind when you see Peter's life is impulsive, fickle, stubborn, type A, blue collar or no collar at all, prejudice. He was prejudiced against Gentiles. He thought God was only coming for Jews, and he wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. And yet into that, God says, I want you, Peter. You come and you follow me. Jesus invites him, and he foreshadows this vision that he has for Peter's life by calling him the rock. He, he's foreshadowing that one day, Peter, you're going to be changed in such a way that you're going to become strong. And you're not going to be fickle anymore. And I'm going to change you in such a way that I'm going to build my church upon you. And you're even going to die for me, Peter. And he did indeed die for Jesus. And you're going to spread the word of God to these Gentiles whom you currently hate, which he did that as well. Do you realize that God is still transforming lives? God is still transforming lives. You come to him and change is possible. P Peter came, and Peter was perhaps curious or cynical. We're not sure exactly, but he was changed. Likewise, Nathaniel, who wasn't amongst the inner 12, but was still a disciple of Jesus, maybe amongst those 70 that you see over in Luke chapter 11, uh, he hears 
that uh, one has come from Nazareth, and what's his immediate response here? Take a look at the text with me, verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Can anything good come from Nazareth? What's the armpit of Nebraska? Don't say it out loud, please. Okay, there might be someone from that town in this room. Okay, whatever the armpit of Nebraska is, that's where Jesus came from. That's where he came from. Nazareth? I mean, you fill in the blank. Can anything good come from... Don't say it. Can anything good come from there? Jesus came... Jesus in his goodness, he came for the least and the last and the lost. He's so good. He's so kind. He downsides from the glory of heaven to the most meaningless, insignificant town called Nazareth. And he invites disciples from similar kinds of towns, including you and me. And Nathaniel hears a bit of the message of Jesus, but he doesn't immediately believe And friends, it's critical that we hold on to this story. Like if you're involved in any discipleship or you're seeking to show someone the kindness of God, you're seeking to lead someone nearer toward Christ, that perhaps there was a day that someone led you to Christ and now you want to return the favor and lead someone else to Christ and you're saying to someone else, come and see. Remember this, they're going to come with all different kinds of curiosities and cynicism, and they won't be put together, and that's just fine. You meet them right where they are, and you commit yourself to being a great friend in the middle of all of their mess. And that's precisely what Philip does here for Nathaniel in the midst of the cynicism. Like, how long will you hold on with a friend that you're seeking to minister to for the cause of Christ. I'm so grateful for friends who held on to me when I was a sin-soaked college mess. And they continued to come to me and just say, come and see, come and see. Yeah, there were great intellects like C.S. Lewis who helped convince me of certain things about the truth of the scriptures and the validity of the resurrection, Josh McDowell, those guys made a huge difference in my life too. But probably even bigger than that were the ordinary men and women who said, I've experienced someone who has changed my life. And I say, well, tell me all about this person. They wouldn't have all the answers, but they would say, come and see. Perhaps they wouldn't say those very words, but that was the invitation. Why don't you come with me to church? Why don't you come with me and we'll do this Bible study? And I probably heard the gospel message at least a dozen times before I believed it. I'm not sure about you, but this is the reality for many, many people. And so God just invites us to come and see. This is what Philip says to Nathaniel. I don't have all the answers, Nathaniel, but come and see. Stick with people. Be patient with people as God is patient with you. God invites us first to relationship and then he takes us where we are, cynical or curious or any other adjective and he moves us to committed and then what he wants to do is take us from being fans of Jesus to being followers of Jesus. Discipleship with Jesus is about moving from being fans of Jesus to becoming his followers. 
There's a fear amongst many fans of Christ that by going all in, they're going to miss out. Fans, I've noticed, want to have just enough pleasure from Jesus that they can avoid any pain that comes with following Jesus. Fans, I've noticed, are not willing to risk for Jesus. Fans, I've noticed, want to have good Jesus vibes without any sense of sacrifice. They want to love those who love them, but they don't want to love those who don't love them. They want to be kind to those who are kind to them. They want to be generous to those who believe the same things as them, but they don't want to be kind and generous to those who believe different things than them. But followers of Christ go out of their way to be kind and generous to all, no matter what they believe. Fans say, I think I'm going to hold back Followers say, I'm all in. I love the way Kyle Eidelman puts it in his book, Not a Fan. He says, the biggest threat to the church today, and I would agree with this 100%, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Dallas Willard puts it this way, the Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than lives. Uh, You know, a a great book out there is this one, Not a Fan, that I just mentioned, and uh, it's available at a resource table. By the way, if you're doing one-on-one discipleship with someone and you finished up your study of growing in Christ and you're looking for another study, there's several out there. There's one on the Gospel of John that's excellent, but one I'd recommend is this, Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman, that's talking about taking the next step from kind of treating Jesus on my own terms to treating Jesus on his terms. And he gives this illustration that's based on a show he watched on MSNBC a number of years ago about a new group of vegetarians. Listen to this. They interviewed one of the new vegetarians, a 28-year-old named Christy Pugh, and one of her quotes captures the viewpoint of this new group of vegetarians. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. She represents a growing number of people who eat vegetarian, but they also make some exceptions. They don't eat meat unless they really like the meat. As you can imagine, the real vegetarians aren't too happy about the new vegetarians. They put pressure on the new vegetarians to change their name, and so here's the new name they choose for themselves, flexitarians. Christy explains it this way, I really like vegetarian food. I'm just not 100% committed. Flexitarian is a really good word to describe how many people view their commitment to Christ. I really like Jesus, but please don't talk to me about serving the poor. I really like Jesus, but please don't talk to me about my money. I really like Jesus, but please don't talk to me about sexuality. I really like Jesus, but please let go of all this stuff about being gracious and forgiveness to anyone. I really like Jesus, but don't tell me I have to like those who hold different views than me on COVID-19. I really like Jesus, but... You see, fans of Jesus say, I am 
partially in. But the moment it begins to hurt me, the moment it goes against the way I think, I think things should go, at that point, I'm not quite as committed. I'm not all in. Okay, thanks. When fans of Jesus, fans of Jesus believe in Jesus, but they've made exceptions to following him, and so when bacon is on the menu, commitments can be adjusted. You know, in the Gospels, uh, the word believe is noted five different times. Jesus invites us to believe five different times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know how many times he invites us to follow? 20 times. He invites us to believe five times, but Jesus invites us to follow 20 times. What Jesus is after is this. He says, come, follow me. And then from there, he leads us toward obedience. And from there, he progressively says, will you be all in with me? And I will enable you by the Holy Spirit inside of you to do what you currently don't want to do. And so right now, it feels really, really difficult to love those that I don't like, but God inside of you can help you to love those you don't like. And right now, it feels really, really difficult for, for me to give of my money to the poor, but God inside of you will help you to love and care for the poor. And it feels really, really difficult for me to honor God sexually or whatever it might be for you, but God inside you will help you to do that as you lean into him, as you follow him, as you say, I am all in on discipleship. The Holy Spirit inside you gives you power to do what you cannot do on your own. This is his invitation to us. It starts with believe. It goes to follow. And then it says, I'm all in. 100%. Jesus, if you gave your all for me, the only natural result would be that I would give my all for you. He always goes higher, friends. He always goes higher. He never goes lower. The most frequent statement related to discipleship in the Gospels goes like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must pick up his cross and follow me. For the person who wants to save their life and go partly in actually loses it. The person who loses their life for me that's the one who finds it. I say this to you out of love. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to go all in. We thank you, Lord, that you don't want any duplicity in us. We thank you, Lord, that you invite us to come to you as we are. We're all a mixed bag. We thank you, God, that you accept us right where we are today. And Father, I have to admit that I see in my own life a lot of areas that really are in need of your sharpening, your sanctification. And so I just give myself to you as I am. And I thank you, Lord, that you are never done with us, that you are always in the process of changing us from the inside out. Perhaps there's others in this room who feel the same way. And you'd say that I want to be more committed to Christ. He gave himself for me. I want to give myself to him. I've kind of been a fan of Jesus, but now I want to become 
a genuine follower of Jesus. And, and maybe today would be the day that you say, I recognize, Lord God, that there's an area of my life that I have been holding on to. And I give it to you. Maybe there's a corner of your heart related to a certain attitude or a way that you speak about a certain kind of people, the way you think, or a partial worship of God where you're holding back something. And you simply say, here on March 14th, 2021, I give myself, I give this area of my life to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to a personal relationship and that you can whisper to us. And if you're whispering to some of us right now, God, grant us the courage to receive it. We thank you for your grace, that you still care about us, that you'll still speak to us still today. Give us an open mind, an open heart to receive from you and to move forward in your truth. We love you in the mighty name of Jesus. God's people pray together. Amen.